I think I've just learned like whether you're running a five-hour marathon, a four-hour marathon, a two-hour marathon, we all go through the same the same struggles in in training, whether it's mental, whether it's physical. And you know, they're always telling me like, oh my gosh, we look up to you because you're running two whatever hours. And I'm like, no, I'm looking up to you because your training runs for your long runs, you're out there for, you know, three, four hours. Like that is amazing. You know, you're balancing your family, your job, your running. Like that's what's truly amazing. Like my running, I that's all I do all day is I go run, but you have all these other things you balance. So I think they just show me with determination, it's cheesy, but you could do anything because they are, they're balancing real lives and still running great, which has been really fun. everyone it's your host mario fraioli i do not have a new conversation to share with you this week but i am going to rerun a previous episode of the podcast with Lindsay flanagan that was recorded in early 2020 just a few weeks before the olympic trials marathon where she ended up finishing 12th since that day in atlanta Lindsay has made some huge breakthroughs in the marathon and as a fan it's been super fun to watch This past April, she was 11th at the Paris Marathon in a personal best, 226.54. And then, just a few months later in July, she won the Gold Coast Marathon in Australia, breaking the tape in a new course record and another personal best of 224.43. It was super fun to revisit this conversation and hear Lindsay's thoughts on the marathon and what she's learned from it over the years, how she's dealt with injuries throughout her career and navigating periods of time when she couldn't run, what she's learned as a coach of age group athletes, and a lot more. Before we dive in, a big thank you to Tracksmith for supporting this episode of the podcast. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. Their summer collection is now available and features staples ready for your next adventure. This is a great collection. I personally love the Run Cannonball Run Shorts. For me, they double as running shorts and a swimsuit that dry in a flash after getting wet. The Off-Road Shorts are great for the trails. They have a two-in-one design for maximum comfort and four spacious pockets for whatever you need to store in them, making them ideal for when I'm out romping around in the woods. The Run Cannonball Run Tee is super light, and I swear that it dries before I even finish running. You can check all of these items out at tracksmith.com and use the code MARIO22, that's M-A-R-I-O-2-2 at checkout to receive free shipping on your order. And on top of that, 5% of your purchase goes to support the Brave Like Gabe Foundation, which helps fund rare cancer research. And this is an organization that is near and dear to me as the founder, the late Gabe Grunewald, was a friend and previous guest on this podcast way back on episode 31. So go check that one out if you haven't already. Okay, please enjoy this rerun episode from February 2020 with one of America's most underrated marathoners, Lindsay Flanagan. All right, Lindsay Flanagan, I'm excited to welcome you to the Morning Shakeout podcast. 
Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start with the most pressing matter at hand and go from there. The Olympic Trials Marathon is less than three weeks away from now. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I mean, I'm feeling confident. I'm healthy, which I think is the biggest thing in the marathon. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to the battle that shall take place in less than three weeks. You ran <laughs> 69.37 for half marathon a couple weekends ago in Houston. That was a rather large personal best for you. It was four years in the making. What did that performance tell you at that stage? Yeah, I think it just showed, I mean, I had just come off of a pretty big mileage week, pretty big long run. And I think it just showed that I, you know, I'm on the right path. Like the fitness is there. I think obviously the half is much different than the full, but I think having a race like that definitely boosted confidence. And I was like, okay, if I can run, you know, this big PR off of some pretty big training, you know, wait until I get a little bit fresher and uh, it gets me excited for marathon. What do you think about the course in Atlanta? It's pretty unique. It's very hilly, lots of up and down, multiple loops. It'll be a championship style race. I'd love to get your thoughts on that type of environment. Yeah. So I have actually been out to the course twice. I ran Peachtree um, in July and I went and they did a course tour the next day. So I saw it then. And then they did another run through uh, right before Thanksgiving. So I've seen it twice. I uh, have a pretty good, you know, idea of it now. And yeah, it is, it is very tough. I have like such like a little nerd, but I have like figured out exactly like how much elevation you gain, you know, each lap and, you know, each mile. And I've pretty much been replicating that in like most of my long runs and like medium length long, long runs and things. But it is, I think the course like that is, it's fun because it doesn't matter what your time is going in, whose PR is what. It is such like a grinding mental course that I think, you know, we could see something cool happen. And I think it's it's not, not going to be quite as straightforward as we think it will, just like the whole top 10. Do you prefer that type of grindy championship style race to a flatter, faster paced affair? I do. I mean, obviously, I love to run fast and that's fun, but I think that it's a lot more exciting when you kind of throw in these other variables where it, maybe it doesn't come down to who's got the leg speed, but it's, you know, strength, it's mental, it's it's so many other things all in one that I, I totally prefer the the championship races and, and things like Boston and those kind. What type of special considerations have you been making in your preparation for the trials on February 29th? Yeah, I think I've just been making sure, obviously, you have to have the hill training, the ups and downs, but it's actually been great. Well, kind of great. And we, we've had some like bad weather in Boulder the past probably two weeks. So probably my past like six workouts and long runs, I've had to start at like 1215, which is annoying. But I was like, wait, this is actually a blessing in disguise mm -hmm. because if the race is going to start late, you don't think about it, but there's so many like, you know, figure out what you're going to eat in the morning, how you're going to time out caffeine and nutrition. So I've actually really been able to dial in on that. And that's something that I, you know, I think that's a huge component. So I've really been practicing that, uh, that 12 o'clock start. Even today, I, uh, I couldn't start until like 12 because the roads were too icy. And I just, every time that happens, I'm like, okay, well, this is good practice. So just go with the flow. And, uh, yeah, so I think also practicing the timing has been big. Well, take me through what your routine looks like on a day like today, which will 
probably replicate the routine that you go through on race day with a 12:15 start. What time are you getting up? What are you doing in the morning? What are you eating? Um, how are you timing things out in the hours leading up to when you step on the start line? Yeah, so I've kind of been playing around with it. Um, I have been kind of getting up around like 8 a.m. So I kind of, obviously, I think race morning, I'm going to be a little antsy. So I, I highly doubt that 8 a.m. is going to happen. But eating breakfast by 8 and then just kind of lounging. I've actually kind of like, you know, when you have a lot of time, I've got into the Norma Tech boots for like an hour this morning before my workout. I'm like, well, I got the time. Let's see how I feel if I do that. So get in the boots and then, you know, have another snack around 10. Um, I have these caffeine uh, sword uh, tabs and I take two of those at 11 and then I start the warm up at noon. So it's kind of uh, kind of been playing around with different things to make sure everything feels right. But I think we're we're getting there. How are you framing your goal setting for the trials? You ran in LA in 2016, had a pretty solid race by all accounts, finishing in the top 15. You've improved quite a bit since then. You're coming off of a big half marathon PR. I mean, everyone but Shalane is coming back here in 2020. How are you thinking about success and strategy and all of that heading into the trials? Yeah, I think like looking back to 2016, I just feel like I'm such a different runner now. I I think I've matured a lot. And I think with the marathon, it all comes down to experience. And I think now having run, I think I've run nine, which is a little crazy, but I guess nine marathons, I feel, you know, prepared. And I think for me, um, a successful day is going to be, you know, leaving it all out there, but making sure that I really race smart because I look back at my 23 year old, 24 year old self in LA and I just ran so silly. I just wasn't prepared to race the way I did. So I think this time around, a successful day is going to be a really smart race because after seeing that course, I think it's going to come down to who kind of executes uh, race strategy perfectly. And that's kind of who's going to end up on the team. You're a professional runner. This is what you do to make your living. And the Olympics comes around once every four years. And I mean, it's the it's the biggest deal for a professional runner. And oftentimes it can like make or break your career. How do you deal with that pressure, whether it's self-imposed or it comes externally, knowing that, you know, hey, I, I've got to have the best race that I can here. I've got to go in as prepared and relaxed as possible. And I'm going to do everything I can to make the team, but there's a shot that I might not. Like, how do you how do you reconcile that uh, in your preparation so that you don't let it get you down or stress you out too much? Yeah, I mean, the way I, I'm thinking about it right now is I just turned 29. And I think this is something I see myself hopefully doing until I'm you know, 40 years old. So I think I kind of go into it like, obviously, yes, like this is a huge deal. I want to make this team. But I also know that if I didn't, it's not like I'm going to retire tomorrow by any means. And there's so many more races and so much left to be done. And that if it doesn't happen this time around, you know, I'm, I'm planning on being at, you know, two, three more Olympic trials that maybe it'll happen that time. But I'm not putting I think I run my best when I'm, I'm just not stressing out. So I think right now this is probably the calmest I've been before a, a major race. And I think I just want to kind of carry that. I mean, ask me the day before and it could be a little <laughs> bit different. <laughs> but as a now I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm in a good, good headspace and the buildup's gone well. And I'm not going to like let, you know, this one race, you know, define me by any means. So I think I'm just, 
yeah, trying to stay composed and knowing that I have a lot more running left in me even after this is all done. What do you do day to day to keep your composure? Yeah, I think um, just getting out of my comfort zone. And I think in workouts, like trying different ways to like push myself. And I think, you know, also maybe dealing with different stresses that come along with life and and all that and just trying to maintain, a, you know, a calm attitude throughout uh, is is important. You've been racing marathons for the last five years. You just mentioned how you're 29 years old. When you graduated from college, did you have an idea that in 2020 the marathon would kind of be your thing? Yeah, I mean, I um, it was funny. I actually, I only had eligibility for track my fifth year. So I ran a half marathon for fun in the fall when I was still in college. And it went, you know, it went all right. And I, I really liked it. And I was like, hey, maybe, you know, eventually the mar- maybe I'll give the marathon a try. So I think like in the back of my mind, that was that was always there. But I, I don't think um, I kind of knew that at this point I would have already done nine and kind of, you know, run some times that I have run. So I think it's been pretty cool to see how it's kind of like all played out since I graduated. Have you always gravitated toward the longer distances? Yeah, I have. I actually, I'm trying to think, even back in high school, you know, we're running on these like 160 tracks uh, indoor in Chicago and I was running the two mile and it was probably like, you know, 30 laps. But I think even starting back then, yeah, I was always kind of trying to run the longest distance I could, which was two miles in high school, 10K in college. And then now, I mean, obviously there's, you know, the ultras, but for me, I, I found the marathon is like the perfect spot to stay. What is it about the marathon that you love so much? I think I just love how unpredictable it is. I feel like every time I've done it, it's not like a 10K on the track. It's not uh, It's not like a fast road race. It's just this like, there's so many different variables and so many different things can happen, good or bad in the race that it's it's always exciting. It, it always, uh, you know, I don't know, it never disappoints. What have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned over the nine marathons you've run in the past five years? Oh my gosh. I think uh, when it comes to the marathon, I think just patience. I think like right when I graduated from college, I wanted to be able to run all the miles, crush all the workouts, et cetera. And that's just not kind of the way it happens with the marathon. You kind of have to, you know, put in the work over so so many years. And and when it comes to the race, like it's going to take so many races until you really nail it. So I think, I think patience and consistency are the biggest things I've definitely learned with the marathon. What have been some of the biggest obstacles that have popped up for you along the way? Oh man, I think right when I, I want to say from 2015 in the fall uh, to 2017 in the fall, I had five bone fractures in in my feet in both of them just it kept being like these reoccurring injuries and uh anyone that's had that happen it's it's so frustrating because right when you kind of feel like you're getting back into shape or you feel like you're ready to race like something comes up and then you're out again so i think those two years of of really inconsistent training just kind of taught me the like that at the end of the day, you, you have to be healthy and that's how you're going to, you know, have these big breakthroughs and run your best. So I think, uh, that those two years were really tough for me, but I actually learned, you know, quite a 
lot. And obviously I'm not happy that I was breaking bones and I was injured, but I think in the long run, it really taught me a lot about, you know, perseverance and, and remembering at the end of the day, you know, why you're doing it and why you're putting in the cross training and what you want to get back for. But I think, you know, the marathon, you're always going to have those ups and downs or just running in general. Yeah. At any time during that period, did you ever think of walking away from the sport just because it got so frustrating being continually injured for pretty much two years straight? Yeah, I mean, I did. It's it's one of those things where you're like, well, I'm I'm not running. I'm, you know, cross training like three hours a day. Like I'm not having fun. And, and you know, running is fun. And, and for me, I've always like, I never think of like running as exercise. But when you're just like, I actually like I was telling I was like laughing the other day. I was telling someone I was like, I really hate like exercising. Like I don't like going on like the elliptical or the bike and they're like, but you run so much. I'm like, yeah, but I don't think of running as exercise. So when I'm like, you know, cross training, mindlessly exercising for hours, I'm like, this is not fun. So there was definitely a point where I was like, you know, should I just maybe get a full-time job and try something else? But there's always that, you know, voice in the back of your head that's like, no, like stick it out. You never know what can happen. And obviously I'm very happy that I, I stuck it out, but there was definitely some, some dark moments in there, uh, in the cross training dungeon. So <laughs> during that period in time, did you ever get to the bottom of why you were getting injured so frequently? Yeah, I think, um, it was what it was. I kind of put myself in this cycle where it was get hurt, cross train for, you know, several hours a day. And then kind of once I was healed, like one of the first, you know, runs I would do on land would be like a hard workout. And then I would probably race within a couple of weeks. And when you do that, you know, you're not used to the pounding, you're not used to, to anything. That's not a sustainable way to do things. So I think I would, I was going through this cycle of get hurt, cross train, race, and then just get hurt again. So I think it took finally the last injury in 2017 to be like, I just need to stop this cross training and get terribly out of shape and just let my body heal before I even try and race again. So um, I think breaking that cycle kind of saved my career. I think that's a huge takeaway for anyone listening to this, whether they're an elite athlete or an age grouper, because I see it all the time as a coach and I've been injured myself as an athlete and did the same thing that you just described. I would cross train and get myself really fit, almost too fit. And then I would come back. Exactly. My, my I use a car analogy. My engine would be in really, really good shape and pretty finely tuned because I was killing myself like in the pool and on the bike. And then I would start running. Uh -huh. But, you know, my musculoskeletal system had not adapted to the pounding. Like my mechanics weren't there. And I, I say that's like the frame of the car. It's like so the engine was a lot stronger than the frame. And then the frame would mm -hmm. inevitably break um, when you start pushing it too hard. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap because we fear losing that hard-earned fitness uh, because we've been putting in all of this work and we don't want to see it go away. But it's not until you're able to pull away from that um, and just allow yourself, like you said, to, to kind of like get out of shape um, that you gain new perspective and, and learn how to be patient really. Yeah, I, I can relate to that so much. Yes, that car was my car was broken. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. What changes have you made since then to keep yourself healthy and strong and able to train consistently? Yeah, I, so after kind of the fall of 2017, um, yeah, like I said, I just kind of let myself uh, I was injured and I let myself get just terribly out of shape. And when I started back up again, yeah, I was really out of shape, but I wasn't like even upset about it. Cause I was like, man, I'm healthy, like mm -hmm. for the first time. So 
I think now it just kind of shows that I think I just learned the importance of of staying healthy and like gradually increasing things. And I've also, um, I just feel like in general now, I'm just so much stronger than I used to be. And I, I used to like fear the weight room and I never would go in there and I'd never do any sort of like lifting. And now that's such a huge part of my, you know, my program as a whole that I think kind of incorporating those other things have kept me, have kept me healthy. Let's dig into that a little bit because one thing I know about you is that you've been working with Leoma Run in Boulder using their motion analysis technology and they've got these new running metrics that are going to come out to the public um, later in the spring. Like, What have you learned from all of that and actually getting some pretty hard data and then recommendations on how to act upon what the technology is showing you? Yeah, it's been it's been really great working with Leoma. They um, I want to say we did this like, man, it's probably going on like eight months ago. Uh, they like put all these sensors on me and they have this cool little indoor track. And, you know, I did this gate that they kind of analyzed my gate using the the sensors and they were able to see kind of like these crazy imbalances, like in my hips and in different areas of my body. And they're like, well, you know, this is, this probably was kind of contributing to all of these, these foot issues you were having. Like, even though this isn't, you know, a direct foot thing. And I was like, all right. And then they, um, they gave me this great strength program, but it was like actually like real lifting. And I had never lifted ever in my life. Like I'm saying like, I, I remember like the, you know, the hex bar that you like stand Mm -hmm. in, I couldn't even like just lift the little bar. Like I couldn't squat that thing. And I'm pretty sure it's like 40 pounds. So, so it was like pretty pathetic, but they like started giving me real lifting. And, um, yeah, I want to say I started doing that at before Boston last year and I had a great race. I felt stronger than I ever had. And then we carried that all through, you know, summer through Chicago and now, and, um, you know, I'm lifting heavier than I have now I can do, you know, 120 pounds in the trap bar, which for some people isn't a lot, but for me is pretty good going from the 42 to the 120. So I think, yeah, working with them has been cool because it's just shown that in the marathon, like, it all comes down to like not breaking down. And I think the stronger you can get, the the better you're going to be. So it's been, it's been so helpful. I can't even thank them enough for everything they've done for me. And yeah, just in general, I just like laugh with them all the time. I'm like, yeah, remember? And I couldn't even lift like <laughs> the dumbbells. And they're like, yeah, but you've come such a long way. So we don't even have to like remember those times. I was like, yeah, that's true. Well, aside so. from being able to lift more weight, just the fact that <laughs> knock on wood, you've been healthy since then. You're running better than you ever have and seems like you're a convert to adding strength training into your overall program. Yeah, no, I was actually thinking about it today. I was like, man, I've been knock on wood, but healthy for two, two years, like pretty much to this like February, which is really cool. And that's kind of when I started adding in all of the new, the new strength. So I think that there is something to be said for that. Let's dig into that a little bit. When you add structured strength training into your program as you have, and now it's a major part of how you train as an athlete, what adjustments have you had to make to the actual running itself? And you're someone who's running pretty high volume as a professional marathoner. Yeah, I mean, I want to say, so I do my lifting on uh, my hard workout days and um, or my long run day. So the running hasn't really changed much. Like obviously that's all the same for this buildup, you know, more strength with Hills. But, um, but yeah, I think just keeping in 
even when I was preparing for like a flat race in Chicago, I was still doing some pretty, pretty much a lot of the same lifting that I'm doing now for, um, for a hilly course in Atlanta. So I think just having that, that general strength, um, is really helpful. And then I, I could even see that running a pretty big PR in, um, in Houston on a pancake flat course. I think it just shows like anything you do in the weight room can kind of and to translate hilly flat race, it's it's all going to be helpful. I know you're coached by Steve Magnus, and I believe you've been working with him for about two years or so now. Did you start working together after you came back from the series of injuries? Yeah, we did. We started working together. It's been almost two years in uh, March of 2018. So after I had kind of my last injury and 2017, I was like, you know what? I don't even need a coach right now because I just need to get healthy. So I didn't reach out to anybody until, um, yeah, until right around March. And he was the one of the first people I reached out to. And I knew I wanted to stay in Boulder, but I didn't necessarily um, need like a team or a coach in Boulder. So reached out to him. Uh, we talked on the phone. And then, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's been two years and it's, it's still working. <laughs> Did you know Steve before you started working together as coach athlete? No, it's funny. I actually met him uh, in per- person for the first time uh, three weeks ago in Houston. So oh, I had never met him before. <laughs> yeah, it was really funny. We were like at the tech meeting. I was like, oh, hey, like it's kind of funny. We're like meeting for the first time in person. He was like, yeah, we've been like internet pen pals for two years. I was like, yeah, I guess you could say that. So, so no, we had never actually met. At, um, I had just kind of, I knew that he coached, uh, some runners, uh, remotely and I, and they had had a lot of success. So that kind of made me reach out to him, but no, we actually didn't meet until yeah in Houston this year. What were some of those initial conversations like when he first took you on? Yeah, I think he just kind of was, I think he was most concerned just about like the injury history and kind of figuring out like why this kept happening. And I think, yeah, we had some pretty good talks about just like how we were going to like stay healthy and be consistent. And, you know, a lot of that was just like the workouts weren't that hard at first, even probably for the first, you know, six months. It was more about just running because I hadn't run in like such a long time that, yeah, he was he was pretty patient with me. Like there was, you know, the first probably yeah, six months we were working together was pretty unglamorous and a lot of pretty bad, bad workouts. So he was like really good, I think mentally just helping me like stay in it and be like, you know, you're going to be fine. Like give it time. And it did like things come together, obviously with consistent training. So yeah, I think our biggest, you know, goal from the the very beginning was like, how are we going to stay healthy and get you, you know, some consistency in your, in your training? Working with someone like Steve, who you just met three weeks ago for the first time, you're definitely not seeing him on a daily or weekly basis. How important is that back and forth communication, especially for someone like you who has gone through cycles of injury in the past? Yeah, I think um, obviously it's good to have someone watching you do a workout. But I think, yeah, like as I've gotten older, like you have to be more flexible, I found in your training. So if he's not here to watch me do a workout and we need to change something or, you know, I'm not feeling good one day. Like I think, um, I'm mature enough now to like make the call on my own, but you know, that's always hard not having a coach there, you know, in person to watch you. So I think it is, you do have to be, you know, in communication and, and honest with how you're feeling. And, uh, I think, yeah, that's the biggest thing is you, you just have to be like in communication. Are you doing most of your work on your own? Yeah, I do most of my training on my own. I have one of my friends will help me 
uh, pace. Like I say, like my biggest, hardest workout of the week, I'll ask him to help like come and pace one of my, my workouts. So that's been really helpful having someone for, for, you know, at least one day a week, but a lot of it is a lot of it is solo. So, you know, good mental prep for the marathon when you're out there by yourself in the race. Yeah. I mean, I think that could definitely be a competitive advantage when you're out there just trying to, you know, get through it sometimes. Uh, and you've got no one to rely on, but yourself, it's always fun to have teammates and training partners to push you. But I think not having, you know, someone with you on it on a day-to-day basis can actually make you mentally stronger. Yeah, I, I really think that like, I'm even thinking back pretty much all the races I've run marathons, I've, you know, ended up running probably 10 to 13 miles by myself. Like even in Chicago, uh, I was with the pace group through halfway, but then the last 13 were all solo. And I was like, you know what, you do this all the time. So it's not that big of a deal. So I do think that, yeah, it might not be fun to be out there by yourself all the time. But, uh, but I think it, yeah, there's some, there's some advantages. Let's talk about the training itself. Once you got healthy and into a good groove of training, working with Steve, um, I mean, you, you raced, uh, some of your faster marathons. I mean, 2018 Frankfurt, you ran 229 and change You PR last fall at Chicago, 228, 08. What changed from an X's and O's standpoint for you? Yeah, I think, um, obviously I think the consistency was huge and, you know, gradually being able to finally like increase my mileage over time, But I think also just like having maybe more quote unquote, like recovery days in between uh, sessions. I think, um, I think back to like my old training and like, we were, we were like crushing, crushing workouts, but I think it might've just been a little too intense and there was maybe too many of them in a week. So I think now like kind of spacing them out and, you know, being a little smarter about that approach has been, has been huge. Were you in a group environment prior to that? Yeah. So right when I graduated um, from college, I was part of a Mizuno sponsored team out in Washington, D.C. And I was there for about three years. And we had there was four or five of us in that group. Is that the Riata group? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So I was there 20 and yeah, 2014 through 2017. Yeah. So another advantage of training solo is you can actually take it easy on your easy days and not get sucked into the energy of the group when you're not feeling it. Yeah. And I think that's important. Like you have to be able to listen to your body and, you know, you know, you have to run the exact pace you need to on like a specific day. So I think, yeah, not getting caught up in, I mean, obviously there are so many advantages to having any group, but there's also, you know, I think I can listen to my body better kind of on my own. Let's go back to the trials for a few minutes. I'd love to get your perspective as an athlete. I want to talk about the shoes because they're all in the headlines these past few weeks. And as someone who's a non-Nike-sponsored athlete, you signed with Asics late last year. You won't be wearing the 4% or the Vaporfly or Next% or whatever they're called. Does everything that you're seeing and hearing about these super shoes worry you or are you just focused on what you need to do on the day to achieve success? Yeah, I think um, as someone, I have never run, none of my PRs were ever run in a shoe like that. So I, the way I see it is um, that I'm, if you're fit, you're going to get the job done. And I don't put any emphasis on the shoes at all. It's to me, it's been like very distracting because, you know, we're not, even talking about performances anymore, all we're worried about is, oh my gosh, what shoe are they wearing? But 
I feel really confident in in myself because I've never, you know, I don't race in those kind of shoes and I never have. And I none of my PRs are, you know, in a shoe like that. So I know that I can get the job done without something like that. And ASICS has, you know, great shoes and I don't feel like I need the the next percent by any means to have a good race. So more than anything, I, I feel like I've just become like cranky with the shoe talk. I'm like, I'm so over it. And everybody always wants to talk to me about the shoes. I'm like, guys, I don't want to talk about the shoes. <laughs> but but it is. It's a distraction. And I think uh, if you let yourself start worrying about little things like that, I mean, you're going to get in your head. And I think just like totally not paying attention to that is the way that I just kind of can stay away from that. <laughs> well, I appreciate that perspective. And I had to ask it. And I too am cranky about yeah. the shoes. I don't want to hear any more <laughs> about it because it takes the focus off of, of the race and the athletes who are going to be going head to head and vying for spots on the Olympic team. And, you know, we'd be remiss if we were saying it It probably it wasn't a factor um, as we've seen just, just kind of in years past. But I think it just, you know, I think it's kind of a, a sore spot for the sport right now because the trials are going to be pretty amazing. It's a deep women's field. It's a very deep men's field. I mean, whether people are running in super shoes or barefoot, like it's going to be one of the most exciting trials races ever. And it's it's just like unfortunate that it has this cloud over it. Yeah, no, it is. And and I was talking to someone the other day and they're like, oh my gosh, like what shoes are you going to wear? Like, what are you doing? And I was like, you want to know what? I want to go into this race fit enough that I went out there in a pair of moccasins that I would still <laughs> run fast and be able to to make the team. And they were like, okay, well, we know where you stand then. So, <laughs> yes. You signed with ASICS late last year. I read that it was a multi-year deal. What did that do for you at this point of your career as a professional athlete? Yeah, it, it, it was huge. I mean, from all of 2018 and 2019, it was it was pretty tough having no support or, or funding. So I think just having this ASICs is it's amazing. And I, I feel like it's a smaller group. There's not that many of us. So it actually kind of feels like it's a little cheesy, but it's like kind of like a little family. And I think that's that's pretty cool when you have like an actual relationship uh, with the company. But yeah, it's been huge and um, really helpful just to kind of be able to really focus on training and um, just kind of letting the other worries kind of go away for a little bit. <laughs> How did you make it all work during those years when you were unsponsored? Yeah, I mean, it was it was tough. Um, financially, I just would get some I had a lot of random side jobs. And uh, late in 2018, I started um, coaching with Run Doyen, and I'm still doing that now. So that really helped kind of in the meantime. And that's something I'm still doing because I really enjoy it. Uh, contract or no contract, I would still do that. But but yeah, it was a lot of like funny odd jobs and just trying to find ways to make money, which wasn't probably the best for training, but you got to do what you got to do. Um, so now it feels good to kind of not have to worry about that. <laughs> so you're in a position where you're just focusing on your own running and then coaching through Run Doyen. Yeah. So yeah. And, and I love the, the, the coaching the, uh, because you know, it's, it's fun to think about your own running, but after a while it gets a little old and it's kind of fun to be able to just to think about other people's running. So it's been something I've really enjoyed. And yeah, I, I think contract or no contract, I would definitely 
definitely stick with my with my athletes. Well, and it's a way to to give back. I mean, you've learned so much over the course of your career and have had success and people look up to you. And now you're in a position where you can share that expertise with others who can learn from it and grow themselves as athletes and people. Yeah. And it's it's been so fun because a lot of that, you know, they're making just huge gains and, you know, they're, they, it's so cool to watch someone drop like, you know, 20 or 30 minutes in a marathon. Like, that's amazing. I'm like, I'm going to drop 20 minutes <laughs> like in a marathon, but, uh, but yeah, it's been really fun. And I do, I feel like I can kind of share my knowledge, whether that's like how they're going to fuel or how they're going to taper or the mental side. Like it's pretty fun being able to have those conversations and it's been really rewarding. And it's something that I've, that I've really been enjoying. Did you always have a background interest in being a coach or is it just an opportunity that came along at the right time? Yeah, I actually had never really thought about it. And then, um, yeah, I was, you know, kind of was in that phase where I didn't really know what I was going to do with myself. And I knew that Run Doyen had just kind of come out. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, you know, um, it, I'm kind of interested in coaching. Like, would you be willing to like chat with me? And they got back to me that day and they we're like, yeah, we'd love to talk with you. So I talked with them and I loved what they were about. Just matching like a pro, a pro athlete with, um, you know, someone who's just kind of starting out. And I, I loved that concept. And, and um, yeah, I didn't, I never, it wasn't something that I, I thought I would do, but you know, the opportunity came along and I'm really glad that I kind of jumped on it. What have you learned from the age group athletes that you've worked with through Run Doyen? Oh my gosh, they are so, they're so impressive. And I think I've just learned like whether you're running a five hour marathon, a four hour marathon, a two hour marathon, like we all go through the same, the same struggles in, in training, whether it's mental, whether it's physical. And, you know, they're always telling me like, oh my gosh, we look up to you because you're running, you know, two whatever hours. And I'm like, no, I'm looking up to you because your training runs for your long runs. You're out there for, you know, three, four hours. Like that is amazing. You know, you're balancing you know, your family, your job, your running, like that is, that's what's truly amazing. Like my running, I, you know, that's all I do all day is I go run, but you have all these other things you balance. So I think they just show me like, you know, with determination, it's cheesy, but you could do anything because they are, they're balancing real lives and still, you know, running great, which has been really fun. Well, that's the beauty in it. I think it's reciprocal, right? I mean, they're obviously, it's inspired by you, but like the unexpected, I, I don't want to call it a consequence, but I can't think of a better word right now is that, you know, they fuel your own running and can help provide perspective and you can take, you know, your, your own game to a new level. Yeah. And it's funny, like I'll be out there, you know, doing a log run or like a hard work and I'm like, oh, but they're racing this weekend and they're going to be, you know, pushing themselves too. And so they're funny. They're like, what? Like we don't inspire. I'm like, no, you really do. Like I love, you know, hearing how it's going and like seeing you guys, you know, crush gets me excited for my own, my own racing. How do you not like as a coach, um, how do you not just rely on your own training background and what, you know, I mean, obviously you got to rely on what you've learned over the years, but you don't, you know, use yourself as like an N of one when you're writing training for everyone else. And it's like, oh, well, I did this. So I'm going to have you do the same thing. Like, how have you learned to be adaptable and adjust people's training based on where they are? Yeah, I think just kind of going back to like that they're all leading real lives. And I think the biggest thing when I talk to them is it is recovery. You know, I'm telling them, they're like, oh, we want to like do all these hard workouts. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, if you're on your feet all day working or you're taking care of the kids and you're running around everywhere, like all of those other stresses are all part of the equation 
decision. So I think, you know, really emphasizing recovery for them and realizing that, you know, they're balancing so many other things is been really important when writing training because, you know, real life is also training, you know, it's, it takes, you know, something out of them. So I think when I, when it comes to them, just really emphasizing recovery um, has been huge. And that's something I've learned with myself. If you, you know, you're not recovering, you're overdoing it, you're pushing too hard, then you get hurt. So I think the lesson I always am telling them is just be patient, like consistent training, even if it's not glamorous, is how you're going to make a big breakthrough. And then once they PR by, you know, 15 minutes, they they believe me. So I think, I think like, yeah, just is taking my what I've learned about recovery and, and kind of passing it along to them has been really big. Well, and I imagine too, it helps you practice what you're preaching to them yourself as an athlete, because it, I think it can be really yes. easy for us to just get mm-hmm. caught up, like kind of in the inertia of it all and push a little too hard or just not back off enough. Oh, exactly. I know there's like times when I'm like, Lindsay, you need to like take your own advice and like back off a little bit. So, so it's good. Like kind of telling them these things, it kind of reminds me, okay, like there are times when you need to like relax and rein it in a little bit. So it's always a good reminder. I'd love to switch gears a little bit and get back to your beginnings. How did you get your start in the sport? Yeah, it's it's funny. I actually, um, from the age 6 to 16, I was a competitive swimmer and I swam my freshman year of high school even. And every Tuesday and Thursday as part of um, swim team, we had to run like a two mile in the morning at like 6 a.m., and I could just crush that two mile like every and I was like so far ahead, but I was so far behind in the pool. And the coach was like, you know, he like pulled me aside one day and he was like, you know, like, I think you're like would actually be a really good runner. And, you know, I was like a little high school. I'm like, no, I love swimming. That's like what I've always done. And he was like, no, but I really think like you you might want to try running, too. So. Um, after swim team in the fall, I actually ran indoor track because that's a big thing in, uh, in Illinois. And immediately I was way better at running than I had ever been in my 10 years of swimming. And I was having way more fun with it. And I was like, man, maybe I am in the wrong sport. (laughs) So then it was kind of, uh, after that, um, it came down to like deciding if I wanted to do cross country in the fall or go back to swim team. And I just decided to stick with running and yeah, I never went back to the pool. Well, I, you know, I do swim once a week, but I never went back to competitive swimming. So is it fair to say that instant success was a little intoxicating? I, you know, I kind of think it was. And I think like just finally like being like good at something, you're like, Oh, like this is fun. And I'm like, you know, not bad at it. So this is, this is cool. And I think I'm super competitive. So I think once I was like, man, I was like getting my butt kicked in the pool, but now I'm like pretty successful was obviously that's pretty fun when you're young and it's still fun right now. So yeah, I think that was a little bit, um, part of the, the draw for sure to switch sports. (laughs) Where does your competitive streak come from? Yeah, I think it's just, I know how, how, you know, how hard I work and I know how hard everybody works, but I just love that when it comes down to a race, it's just, you know, anything can happen. And I, I think, yeah, even think, I mean, I'm also one of uh, four kids, so it was always pretty competitive just between us growing up. So I think that also plays a role, but, um, but yeah, I think you have to be competitive and, uh, I think, yeah, the big family and, and even the swimming young kind of fueled the competitive fire. 
does that competitiveness spill over into other areas of your life? It actually doesn't. I feel like I'm super, I'm pretty like chill in other areas, but yeah, but when it comes to running, that's when I get competitive. But besides that, no, I try and just kind of keep that competitiveness into like the running. Like when I'm like playing a board game, I don't really care if I win or not. Like I just like, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, but yeah, I kind of keep that competitiveness with the sport. Aside from swimming and running in your youth, what other things are you interested or involved in? Yeah. What else did I do? I feel like, yeah, I swam forever and, uh, I played volleyball. I was really bad, but I played some volleyball and, um, yeah, besides that, yeah, we were like, we were in club swimming. So it was kind of a year round thing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of took over, like, you know, it was swimming every weekend for, you know, the entire year. So that was, it was a pretty big part of my life, like thinking back on it. Um, and it's funny because now it's just, it's just not. So it's just kind of always funny to see how things have changed. I'm like, man, like I do not even enjoy swimming anymore or like being wet in that instance. So this is, this is nice to just yeah, be running. <laughs> At what point in high school did you realize that you wanted to continue running competitively in college? Yeah, I think um, my junior year, I started to kind of kind of get my times down. And I they used to have these like, I don't even I'm sure they still do. But it was called like the Nike Indoor Nationals. And I, I flew out to to like an indoor one that I think was in man, I want to say it was in Maryland at the time. And I started kind of doing these, you know, races outside of Illinois. And I kind of saw that I was competitive on, you know, the national level, not just in my own state. So I thought that was, that was pretty cool. And that kind of gave me, you know, the, the colleges started to notice that I think it was like good timing because your junior year is when they kind of start recruiting you. So yeah, I think just kind of going to those races and like placing pretty well and and being competitive, uh, you know, with everybody in the nation kind of set me up to be like, hey, maybe I maybe I wanted to keep doing this a little bit longer and see how good I can be. And then uh, my senior year, yeah, I did the Foot Locker and uh, the Nike Cross Nationals and all of that and, and did pretty well. And I think that's when I was kind of like, OK, I'm, I'm definitely going to keep running. I want to see what I want to see what happens. How did you decide on the University of Washington? Yeah, it was actually um, the first school I visited and I just loved Seattle. And it was one of those things where uh, I loved the school and I was like, okay, if I don't run a step when I'm here, I'm still going to love being here. And I think that that was huge because I just loved it there so much that I knew that either way running or not, I would be happy. So that was kind of the deciding factor. When you got to Washington, what was that transition like going from a very good nationally ranked high school runner into a pretty successful division one program? Did you feel a pressure on your shoulders or were you pretty relaxed going into it? No, I think it was, I mean, it was eye opening because yeah, you go from being, you know, state champion and and up there in like the footlocker. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know if I'm going to make the travel team. Like, this is crazy. So I think it was, it was definitely hard. And it took a while to get, to get used to because you do, you want that immediate success. And, you know, that wasn't really the case. So it it definitely took some getting used to. And uh, I didn't even make, I don't, I want to say I didn't make the, the national track meet until my fifth year. So it took a pretty long time to kind of, to come around in college. <laughs> How did you grow as both an athlete and a person during your time at Washington? Yeah, I feel like I just learned to be, 
I don't know. I think I learned that's, I mean, I learned a lot of patience in that, uh, just because it did take so long to, to, uh, you know, kind of have success at the collegiate level. But, but yeah, I think I, I became, you know, more well-rounded. I was enjoying school. I, I, you know, was considering, you know, what job I wanted after because I wasn't really thinking about professional running yet. So I think, yeah, I just, in general, I became more well-rounded and kind of just, you know, I think you mature a lot. And I think that was a huge maturing time for me. What were you thinking about professionally during that time for after college since professional running wasn't at the top of that list? Yeah, I I, um, I majored in public health um, and nutrition. So I figured I would probably do something with that. I, I wasn't sure. I, I thought that I might go get my master's in public health after uh, graduating, which would be a one to two year uh, program. But then once I got the uh, the opportunity to to run professionally, that kind of uh, was put on hold and, and still is, I guess. But uh, but that was my that was going to be my plan was to go and uh, to go to grad school pretty much right after. Do you still have ambitions to go to grad school or work in the public health field? No, you know, it's kind of evolved a little bit. Um, I I don't know if that is something that I would maybe want to do now. But um, but yeah, I think I also randomly had a bunch of sports marketing internships in uh, college, which was not my major at all. But I had three of those. And so I actually through that also was like, oh, that could also be something that I would like to do. So maybe, you know, I see myself now if when all, this is all sudden dead, maybe going to, to the other side of the sport and doing something like that. So you plan to stay involved for a little while after your competitive career is over? Yeah, I just, I think it would be really hard to just, to step away from it all because now it has just become such a big part of my life. And there's so many different, you know, components of the sport that it, I think it would be pretty tough to just, yeah, to just walk away entirely. So I think I would definitely find a way to, I mean, whether that's continuing coaching or, or something like that, but I, I see myself staying in the sport. I think another interesting part of your life, at least to me from what I've read and I've heard you talk about on other interviews is that you live with your younger sister, uh, who's also a competitive runner. I'd love to understand how that all came to be. Yeah, I, we do live together. It's, it, it's always funny every day. Um, <laughs> And sometimes it feels like a TV show, but um, it's always funny. But she, yeah, she graduated. I was a fifth year at UW when she was a freshman. Um, and so then uh, when I moved out to Colorado, she was just graduating uh, from college. And I was like, hey, I just am in Boulder. I think you would love it. Uh, you should, you know, kind of come out and see it. And so sh- she did. And um she was living with me at the time, uh, wherever I was living at that point. And then, yeah, she was sold and she has stayed here ever since as well. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of just a little bit crazy every day with that. (laughs) (laughs) How has that relationship evolved now that you're in, you're almost, you're in your late twenties, almost 30 years old. Um, she sounds like five years younger. I mean, has, has it evolved now that you're both like firmly into your adult years? Yeah, it has. And I think like, I've just learned, I just think back to when I was 24. And I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I have learned so much that I just try and like, kind of like instill these like little lessons on her just like, be patient or like, you don't have to know exactly what you want to do with your life, like right this second, like just give yourself some time. Um, But I think it's been fun because not that I'm like a crazy mentor to her, but I think I am a little bit. And I think it's been good to be able to pass on a lot of things 
things I've learned over the past five years. Um, and she's working full time. She's balancing her running too. So it's it's really fun to like kind of watch her grow as an athlete and a, as a person. Yeah, I would say that's some best in class built in mentorship right there. Uh, especially yeah. having your you know your older sister living under the same roof and mm. having walked the path you know a few years ahead of you uh, is huge. Yeah. And I, I'm always like, she's always like, you're like, kind of like my, my agent also, like you help me with, with running and you help me with life. And I'm like, hey, I do my best, but you know, it's always, it's always fun. You have a pretty popular last name as far as American marathoners go. Does anyone ever ask you if you and Shalane are related? I get that. I get it all the time. And even I like, I want to say even in college, I know. Even in college, people would be like, oh my gosh, like, are you related to Shalane? I'd be like, yes, she's my older sister. And I would just like mess with people. And, and even now uh, I'll be racing. Um, it happened in Boston. It happened in Chicago. People would be like, they see me, they just see Flanagan and they're like, oh my gosh, go Shalane. And I just laugh because I'm like, oh, they think I'm Shalane, which is great because she's amazing. So I'll take it. But, um, but yes, I do get that question pretty often. So who are your heroes in the sport? I think uh, the biggest one is uh, Dina Castor. And I think now kind of being an A6 quote unquote teammate with her is is really special. And I got to spend some time with her in December in Austin. And just being around her, you just, I feel like I'm just more calm. And I feel like she's just, she has done it all. And she's so, you know, she has so much experience that I, I loved spending time with her and any any chance I got to just talk to her about anything, I was just like soaking it all in because she's just been such a role model uh, forever. So so yeah, that's pretty special that now we're Team Asics together. What was some of the advice that she gave you when you were talking to her in Austin last December? Yeah, I mean, I think just like with training and, and being impatient with the marathon and, you know, we talked about everything just from non-running related things either. And she is just a very well-rounded and just very kind person. And I think at the end of the day, it always reminds you running aside, you need to be a good person as well. And uh, I think that's huge because she's all of that. And that's just what I want to be. I want to be, you know, 40, you know, years old and have, you know, still be like a, a presence in the sport, whether if I'm not racing competitively, but still mentoring people. Um, I think that's huge. And she's just, she's incredible. Yeah. She's a bit of a, a renaissance woman. I mean, obviously an incredible athlete, probably the greatest American female marathoner of all time, or you could make that argument. But I mean, I've spent time with her. I've had her on the podcast. You go to her house. She's like an amazing cook. She's very well read. She's an author. She's very like involved in her community. Just a pretty incredible person to kind of have in your corner. Yeah, no, she really is. And yeah, I just was like, oh, I just want to like, I wish I was, she was like, I was like, I want to go to Mammoth just to like spend some more time with her. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, can you come to Boulder sometime? So yes, it was, it's really cool that I was able to, to be with her. And yeah, I just feel like anyone can learn so much from her. And I did love her book as well. So last bit before we wrap up here, what is exciting you in running right now? I mean, obviously, uh, the trials and I think just more in general, uh, just U.S. Uh, women's distance running. It's it's pretty incredible to see the depth right now. And I mean, you even look at Houston when I want to say there was like, you know, six or seven of us that broke 70 in the same race. And that is just something that is so special and that you just don't see happen that often. So I think there's this momentum right now where 
we're all pushing each other and we're seeing someone runs fast and then we get excited and we run fast. So I just think in general, it's it's a really exciting time right now to be a, to be a professional uh, U.S. distance runner. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great place to wrap up this conversation. Lindsay, thank you so much for making the time today. Yes, and thank you for having me. It was fun. All right, that's it for this episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. Also, a big thank you to Tracksmith for help making it possible. Tracksmith is an independent running brand inspired by a deep love of the sport. Their summer collection is now available and features staples ready for your next adventure, including the Run Cannonball Run Shorts, the Off-Road Shorts, the Run Cannonball Run Tee, and a lot more. By using the code MARIO22 at checkout, you can receive free shipping on your order and 5% of your purchase will go to support the Brave Like Gabe Foundation to fund rare cancer research. Before we wrap this one up, I'd like to give a shout out, as always, to my man, John Summerford. He's produced every episode of the podcast and is the reason this show sounds as good as it does week in and week out. Also, thank you to Chris Douglas for being my right-hand man and handling sponsorship sales, and Jeffrey Stern for managing the AM Shakeout social media accounts. I don't have a big team here at the Morning Shakeout, but these three guys have been crucial in helping keep things running smoothly here. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe for a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to lately that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast.